McNulty is king now. In honor of the crown, who would be the too hot actor that would play you in, his, in, a, in a historical fiction? I'm Katie Rich, and I've been told enough times that I look like Jennifer Garner that I've bought into it. So she is uh, welcome to play me. I'm at Patches. I'm not sure this person is too hot to play me, but I think I'm going to go with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> nice. Why are you laughing? Uh, <laughs> you, you also aged yourself up by like 15 years, so maybe that's I don't what know. Have you out. seen me in real life recently? <laughs> I'm kind of the Leonardo over the hill DiCaprio Leo. No, I'm not even talking about young Leo right now. I'm talking about Leo and don't look up or whatever. <laughs> Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I had to ask Java <laughs> since Johnny Depp is an idiot, canceled lo- loser, and she said, uh, Diego Luna. I'll take Dave it. Cor- Dave, the correct answer is Timothy Oliphant. Wait, we're looking Ooh, for really? Timothy Oliphant. I oh, will yeah. take a Timothy Oliphant. He totally Oliphant. looks like Dave. Yeah. Dave Deadwood with you, the mustache, I suppose. You, uh, either way, you get to go to Star Wars World, so it seems that, like a win-win-win. Right. Win. That's true. I get that best guy. Uh, and I am David Ehrlich, and this guy is a thousand percent uh, too hot to play me, but someone someone once uh, compared me to Justin Thoreau in Mulholland Drive specifically. Holy his, shit, like, David! It is like wow. black glasses look. Um, they were just comparing abs, of course. We both, yeah. Uh, I mean, we do bad. both technically have uh, black glasses and skin and human DNA, <laughs> and I think that's. Uh, uh, Katie's Katie's it, reaction, I, I think Katie's reaction really said it all. No, um, I admire you aiming high. <laughs> thanks. You're aiming uh, the highest well, of all of us, I think. Wow. Um, again, the burns are only getting harsher <laughs> as you keep talking. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm out. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of the episode. You know, in Six Feet Under, uh, Justin Thoreau played a character who plays the French horn, and I played the French horn in high school. So I think he could play me too. Yeah. I'll take it. He'll play us all. Yeah. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the Warm. It's episode 414. It's episode 414. It's pandemic 144. It's the week of Thursday, November 10th. That's the day the 1940 Walt Disney began serving as an informer for the Los Angeles office of the FBI. Wow, Dave. Yeah. You went for the you went for the jugular this week. Take that, Disney. This is like yours. He did this like well before the Red Scare. He was so ahead of his time on on McCarthy. He hated unions mm-hmm. and therefore was just uh, all all anti-communist people used to tell me before i knew a lot about walt disney that he was anti-semitic he was not he was just paranoid of everybody because his workers had a justified strike i don't remember mm. this part from saving mr banks was this was this in the movie <laughs> was tom hanks no. union busting not no that, that i don't think that made it in the movie although i would like to see the tom hanks union buster movie I, uh, I keep getting emails for this like Mickey Mouse biopic that's gonna be on Disney Plus, like Mickey the Story of a Mouse. So maybe it'll be in that Mickey Mouse biopic. <laughs> <laughs> now this is not the it. this is not the mouse with the cartoons. This is the real yeah. Mickey Mouse we're talking about here. It's, uh... My kids would probably enjoy that as much as they've enjoyed Lightyear. So I report back. Okay. 
Uh, I don't have anything clever. Do we have any reviews? Uh, Katie, I regret to inform you, and specifically you, that we do not have any mm-hmm. reviews. Oh, uh, no. I, wait, 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 wait. Emails count. Emails count. Do they do? We have do two they? email reviews. Ah. Hey. Sigh of relief. I think that allows me to make one passing comment about how I'm very close to unlocking the galactic legend Luke Skywalker and then continue with Dave reading the email reviews. Dave, Dave right. we really need I'll to get you on it. the Marvel Snap train. Oh my god. Get you fucking, off these gacha games. Fucking, I, it is, Marvel Snap's like a card thing, right? David Sims yes. got me absolutely addicted to a not gacha game, a game that I paid $9.99 for, uh, wow. called Slay, called Slay the Spire. Money. Which is a uh, like a roguelike uh, card build a deck building game, uh, and I have poured like forty hours <laughs> into it. That's like I, three again, weeks. Do not I understand your than, schedule. I played it more I, than David, I played. David's time management is the do greatest mistake in this podcast. <laughs> played it more than I played the new God of War and liked it a lot more too. Uh, okay, Dave, read our emails. All right, this first one ca- is called a review from Canada, five stars, and it's from Andrew says, perhaps this is fitting given the upcoming Glass Onion colon and Knives Out mystery because I first encountered the podcast in the wild after my close friend and fellow listener to the podcast brought me to a TIFF press screening of Knives Out. As we were leaving the theater, going down the very long Scotiabank theater elevators, he turned to me Escal- and said, escalators, yes, <laughs> thank you. He turned to me and said, that is David Ehrlich behind us. I asked how he knew and he said, you can tell from his voice. <laughs> David was very vocally common commenting on the movie with colleagues who I could not hear very well. Two weeks later, I started listening to the podcast and have loved all the hot takes from Katie, Dave, Patches, and David, and have done my best to watch most of your film and TV recommendations. While I no longer live in Toronto, the podcast reminds me every week of my pre-pandemic life watching dozens of films at TIFF and discussing them with friends afterwards as far away uh, from King Street West as possible. (laughs) Thank you for the hundreds of hours and of wonderful episodes. Wow. I love how many reviews include someone seeing David in public talking about I'm I'm a man about town. (laughs) As I say, Uh, you probably travel more than the rest of us due to festivals. David, do you Um, remember who you were talking to about uh, Knives Out on the the escalator? uh, There will be a section later in this episode where I plan on talking about uh, attending TIFF screenings uh, in relation to another movie. I remember this movie vividly because... Uh, I have a lot of anxiety about writing reviews quickly when there's no embargo, like coming out of a festival premiere and having to run back to wherever you're staying and, and hammer out a review and always having a soft spot in my heart for Knives Out, a movie I enjoyed very much regardless, because miraculously, for whatever reason, the movie allowed me to write about it very quickly and with little uh, with little distress. And uh, so I ran home and wrote about that movie. I must have been talking about it some other day. Because that was late at night, but I do not remember the conversation. But I am very wary about like being that person who's talking loudly. So it must have been like outside on a street or something. Because you'll never catch me like in a confined space talking loudly for other people to overhear at length. Because I that's that's not my vibe. Yeah, I would agree with that. I said, yeah, I so, saw the movie at the premiere at that TIFF, so I also did not see that discussion. My absolute, like, if you ever want to make me just profoundly uncomfortable, start a conversation with me in a crowded elevator. I will uh, do everything that I can to jump out. <laughs> I, would, I would watch that That happen. would be tough. All right. Another tough. review, right? I would, I would pay to see that. We do. This next one's from Charlie, who said he's tried to leave it three Charlie. times. And oh. Charlie, I think oh, I know why 
iTunes is not taking your review because it's over a thousand words long. But here we go. Well, it's because oh, you're boy. six and you should be going to bed. Katie, get <laughs> your child to bed. Go to bed, Charlie. <laughs> My God. So here comes Dave cold reading a long review. Here we go. Wait, I first wait, are you list- reading all thousand words? Uh, I mean, uh, this is this is not the podcast where I have to make content edits. So yeah, let's <laughs> let's fucking do it. Buckle up. Uh, Charlie says, I first started listening to Fighting in the War Room in the late 2010s and have been a, a steady listener since then, as well as making my way through most of their backlo- backlog. I even made my way to the second pandemic era call-in show where I attempted to talk through my feelings about the odd but mistakable hotness of Roy Schneider and all that jazz. I was so <laughs> nervous doing so, however, that I forgot to say anything about how great you all are, rectifying that now. That I first became inter- Yeah, I first became introduced to the podcast through David Ehrlich's reviews, which are both incisive and hilarious, if sometimes very withering. I've also come to look forward to his best of videos every year and have even voiced them upon my friends, most of whom reacted positively, one of whom told me to never send her anything like that again. Wow. I appreciate <laughs> it. was I too appreciate good. And I, admire- <laughs> <laughs> I admire Katie Rich's state- steady temperament, her absolute willingness to just not see movies that she is uninterested in, her early championing of, perfection- of the perfections of Lady Bird, and her good taste in naming her firstborn son Charlie. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly. Uh, consistently impressed with how Dave Gonzalez maintains real enthusiasm and understanding of real nerdy shit without ever becoming a Marvel shill, DC, DC shill, or whatever the shill du jour happens to be. Are there Sonic the Hedgehog shills? Must investigate. And I'm astounded by how Matt Patches is able to make even the hottest and most off-the-wall takes seem increasingly reasonable. I also love his championing of the Dark Universe, a franchise so misbegotten, unlikely, yet strangely resilient that it can only be properly championed by someone who grew up in Philadelphia. <laughs> but whatever the virtues of the individual hosts the whole of fighting of the war room is still greater than the sum of its parts it's been a while since i read anything by c.s lewis when i think about why i've enjoyed and stuck with the podcast through my first romantic relationship my first breakup and my first global pandemic i keep going back to some of the things that he wrote and said about friendship lewis talks about how friendship could be simultaneously a source of common interest and orientations towards the world and also an expression of the distinct and irreducible qualities that two or three or four people bring out in each other whether there are two, three, or best of them all, four podcast hosts present for a particular episode, I think Fighting in the War Room exemplifies these two qualities, where it's both a forum for shared interests in movies and TV, shows, pop culture, shoe consumption, and also a space for the particular and complementary qualities of Dave, David, Patches, Katie, to commingle and bring out the best in each other. Oh, oh okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> he praises us even more, and I will forward it to everybody. <laughs> But then he asks a question. My question is about where you all see yourselves in your own approach to watching movies, particularly as people who both speak about and write about movies as a vocation. How do the appreciative and analytical aspects of watching movies show up for you? Does a movie start off with five stars, zero stars, something more in between? Does it depend on the movie and how much uh, does the way that you begin to take in a movie as it begins after the first impression, etc.? end up informing and corresponding to how you feel once you've had time to process and think about the experience. I'm going to throw to David Ehrlich, who said our private email chain, Wakanda Forever, is going to be dead conversation next week. <laughs> David, I did, not, I did not mean, like, in the national discourse. I just meant the for this particular... So over this Black particular, Panther Monday. Hey, excuse me. I wrote a 2,000-word positive review of Wakanda Forever, uh, which is now live on the internet for your reading pleasure. 
Uh, a movie so I, I will see in theaters no. tomorrow, and we will talk about next Eddie week. I do not believe that it's going to be sort of out of the zeitgeist by then. I just meant we would be behind the times with our podcast if we wait until next week to talk about it. But that is indeed what we're going to do, which is fine. Um, I'm just really glad this person didn't ask where we're going to see ourselves in 10 years. because I, just I know. The, I thought that too. And I was yeah. like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> didn't uh, think that one through. I'm, 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 seeing, so. I'm seeing either like a gravestone or a lot or even more gray hair somehow, if there's any hair at all, which uh, Ghost both of frightening. Christmas future is standing behind me, pointing <laughs> to my grave. Uh, I don't know how to answer this because I don't have any really clear orthodoxy. I will say... And like I was thinking about this, I wrote about this a little bit in a review that'll be published uh, after recording this for a Netflix movie called Slumberland by uh, Francis Lawrence about like how, you know, all year long, I just have to watch these direct to Netflix movies that are not marketed or premiered a festival. Um, and they just sort of show up on the service starring a bunch of famous people and costing a bunch of money. And invariably they suck and blow at the same time. And they're just like, um, and just like I was talking in the review about how eager I am to rave about one of these movies, but uh, how they deny me that opportunity, which is a long way of saying there's no easy math for it. I do, but, but also a way of saying that I start every movie as I believe that all critics do hoping for the best, whether or not you're giving something five stars and chipping away at it. If it's that, sort of cut and dry for you. Um, but I, you know, nobody wants to be miserable at their job, particularly when their job offers the occasional moment of transcendence. Everyone is hoping to have a good time, at least for two hours. Yeah. And uh, it's always disappointing when you don't. You walk into Black Adam, I... you go, what if this rocks? Mm-hmm. Or yes. what if this changes Sessions? the power like... structure of the DC universe? <laughs> yeah. What if, yeah. Yeah. What, I Wait, what did they say on Sesame this, Street? But... I'm sorry to cut you off, Katie, but what did they say on Sesame Street about The Rock and Black Adam? <laughs> uh, what what if... did they say? Oh, I'm trying to remember the exact... Uh, the exact oh, oh uh, I know what you're um, saying. I, I, wonder, yeah, I wonder, what if, let's try. Let's try. Oh, I see. That's absolutely <laughs> That's right. right. Haley Steinfeld has sang that, those words in 800 oh, episodes she, of Sesame Street. She just crushed it. I just saw, I, I didn't realize that she was in more than one, but Ace is just getting into Sesame Street, so I just saw one. She's great. God bless. Um, I had not really thought about this before, but I feel like my brain is like the New York Times election needle where like I go into a movie and it's like hovering right in the middle and then like something happens that's good and I go, hmm, okay. And then something happens I don't like and I'm like, okay, where are we headed with this? Like it's a wavering back and forth. I don't really write reviews and I don't, don't write reviews with stars, so it's not like a number system, but I feel like I go in it like the true middle and then kind of see where it takes me from there. Yeah, I try to do that. But you know, it's uh, I it, the the stars grades number thing. That's really that really sets me off. I'm very lucky to have this podcast where I could elaborate on things. And yeah. you could see in my tweets recently, I'll be like excited to talk about this movie on Fitwer, and then I'll just leave it at that because why why condense myself unless it's something? Don't burn uh, pot on Elon Musk's Twitter, Dave. Exactly. <laughs> uh. Yeah, fortunate to also have been deprogrammed. We don't run uh, scores or anything at, at Polygon. I, David, I think you might be the only one who gives letter grades to to movies. Um, yeah, I mean, how do it's, you feel? It's not. It's a double edged sword. I mean, I as the person writing the review, the grade is always an encumbrance. Readers like it. Um, yeah, they do. I mean, it's always annoying because they a lot of readers, regardless of whether or not you're been panning something, raving about something, whatever or even just going down the middle, think that the the grade doesn't align with what it is you're saying. Um, But as a reader who 
was very impressionable when Pitchfork was just starting out. I remember how much stock I took in their scores and sort of helping the narrative around a certain album. And, uh, you know, more, I mean, it's all, it's all silly. It's all arbitrary. Um, I would roll my eyes at any critic who was like, you know, putting a little bit too much stock behind whatever score they give something. But it is a, a helpful way, especially if you have in my job, like a small movie um, that you really love and you want to help to whatever, you know, small extent that you can uh, to, to give a like an A grade to something, particularly if you don't do it very often, uh, whether or not it makes a difference, it, it you feel you feel at least you know like you've done what you can and you put. I will say, letter it, so. letterboxed, I guess, has drawn me back into like ooh the the, the thrill of giving a rating God. to things and like yeah. excruciating or like overthinking my half stars and judging against other movies and uh, in my desperation for sane social media use, I've I've enjoyed the wondering what I'll give this movie after I watch it kind of letterbox of it all. But I will say in, in contrast to that, I just went to see RRR in IMAX and I had not seen Ooh, the movie. Fun. I had not I seen the movie seen until either. this moment. I've been wondering if we should talk about it at some point. We uh, should. Uh, I, I, keep to I hope you can it's see not, it. It is still on theater. Netflix, right? It is on Netflix. Yeah. It's not in, uh, it's a, it's a dub on Netflix. Yeah. Um, which may not throw you off too much. A dub into Hindi, right? Yes. Um, but, you know, the the mouths will not be aligned. Sure. The lip sync will be off. But um, anyway, I saw RRR after, you know, months and months of sitting at home with my newborn on parental leave, watching people flip out for this movie I was already very excited for that was supposed to come out in January and that got bumped to April when my baby was born. Um, and hype, 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 and finally getting to see this movie in an IMAX theater packed in in new york and uh having a fucking religious experience doing it i could not have been overhyped i i absolutely had a meltdown over three hours it was fantastic and it reminded me that like no amount of hype can really ruin a, a good movie um and no, no amount of discourse can ruin a good movie and maybe <laughs> a, a certain amount of discourse can challenge a, a middling movie in a good way so i hope i'm open-hearted I, enough i just want to say much any um, experience in in fairness to our friend Charlie, uh, I understandably, you know, Dave truncated the question for the sake of our listeners everywhere. But reading over the review, which Dave just forwarded to all of us, uh, you know, as we poo poo the semantics of how we think about watching movies like this, the question was was a lot more involved uh, and a really sort of cogent, interesting uh, discussion of how to do it uh, as a segment you know, the, because we're going so long at our opening. Anyway, yeah. anyway, I just, just, just if Charlie is listening to this and being like, wait, they totally misinterpreted, you know, or, or, or were too reductive about the question I was answering. We know uh, the question was very, here. very interestingly posed. Yeah. Here's um, how reductive I'm going to be. If you have the I- iTunes podcast app, open that up, leave us five stars. I don't yeah. care how you really feel. You can tell us in the text. Yeah. If you do not have that or do not live in the U.S., you could email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com like Charlie did and get as in-depth as you want. And I'll forward it to the people and I'll read as much of it as I can on the show. You to call in, man, you send you up. Reason, call in, All right. Uh, so hours before we sat down to record this, I received uh, one of the first things of award season like swag and FYC mailers I've gotten. It's been pretty quiet so far. It is the bound script for 
the Banshees of Inisharan, it turns out. Did you out. not get the drinking glasses? No, I did get those. You're right. Okay, I got the glasses. Uh, yeah, those great glasses. We have we pint- get blue checks. Pay eight dollars. We, we have a lot of uh, pint glasses that Excuse we just me. use, like water glasses or anything else, and those uh, are very handy. On that topic, patches. Before we move on, I just right. want to point oh God, out we're that about blue checks. Jesus Christ! God damn it! We're talking about cinema according, here. According to Elon, according to Elon Musk, uh, who personally wrote all of these messages on our pages, uh, my account is verified because it's notable in government news, entertainment, or another designated category. Wow! I haven't even found out if i have anything like that how embarrassing uh, for everyone so you know who's not on twitter is uh patrick uh colin farrell's sad uh irishman no, who lives he on the uh, yeah he's he's verified he's, he's a um you know if he had twitter maybe oh, he might be one of the few people who might be better off if he had twitter he needs a glimpse of what's going on in the outside world this is what the, the movie the banshees of Sharon is all about it's from martin mcdonough the writer director who last made three billboards outside of missouri Famously, infamously, also a playwright. Uh, he returns to his native Ireland and uh, he's made a play. I believe it's a series of fictional I- islands all based on real Irish islands. Like there's Lieutenant of Inishmore. This is Banshee's of Sharon, And then there's a third one. Anyway, um, it's part of the, you know, Martin McDonough extended universe of like sad, sometimes violent Irish people. It's uh, I Colin look forward Farrell. to Inishirin forever. 2025. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson play two men leaving this tiny village in the 1920s uh, as the Irish Civil War is happening and they were friends until Brendan Gleeson decides he doesn't want to be friends anymore and won't really explain why. Um, and their friendship unravels from there and really it's Colin Farrell's uh, Patrick who unravels because he just doesn't get why his like one friend has decided he doesn't want to be friends anymore. Barely, I think. Um, it's all a metaphor for the Irish Civil War in some ways, an, an event I had no real understanding of and still don't, so I'm not going to try to. Um, but it's a Martin McDonough movie in that it's funny and dark and uh, has really great characters who you latch on to immediately. Carrie Condon is Patrick's like way too smart for this town. Sister Barry um, Keoghan, whose name I didn't know how to pronounce until recently, um, as someone who's maybe even simpler and sadder than Colin Farrell's character. Um, I thought this movie was wonderful. It's been really widely praised and I think really lives up to it. Um, it's Oscar-y in some ways, but I think it's just interesting in many ways to have nothing to do with award season, even though Colin Farrell should win an Oscar for it. Dave, did you like this movie Ooh. as much as I did? I did. Thank you for uh, leading off because every other time I've tried to talk about this movie, I just slaughter everybody's names, real or fictional. Just I mean, I'm, I'm not guaranteeing I got got them right, but I did my best. Barry Keoghan, I would say that one. Keoghan. I know it's definitely yeah, not what Dave it. said. Yeah, I know. I, it's never what Dave <laughs> said. You'll notice patches is not speaking. Yeah, I was gonna say, Dave, are you me? <laughs> Am I playing <laughs> you on the crowd? You'll be, you'll be banned hot. from Ireland if you talk. I think you need to just take a back seat. Pretty, pretty smart. I'm Irish. Uh, Yeah. I, the first thing I did after coming out of this movie was Google whatever that civil war was actually (laughs) about, because I was like, I, I, I told my rep as I was leaving, like, I really liked it, but I also feel like it's touching on an allegory. I just have no basis for understanding. Yeah. Uh, Although, although I think as someone who rightly sees war as being kind of like a futile effort of people shooting at each other to win, to accomplish almost nothing, like. I think without knowing the contours of the Irish Civil War, you see the hints of people killing each other on the plane, and you're like, yeah, I, I kind of get it. Yeah, they got like the cannon fire that, you know, occasionally erupts on the distant island where it's actually being fought, and they are very nice about uh, including a story beat that shows you a calendar so you could uh, place <laughs> it. Go- Googling or- here. 
yeah, better for Googling, uh, you know, Irish conflict. Um, but yeah, I, I did really enjoy this. It has my uh, black humor view of the world uh, pretty locked down. Uh, I'm in the, the McDonough pocket for sure. Um, I do think I wasn't expecting it to go as hard as it does in its last third. Uh, I think it switches from, uh, like, there's this whole, uh, I guess, uh, conflict about uh, Brendan Gleeson's character threatening to cut off his fingers. And uh, it seems like this is the type of movie where maybe that's jokey and maybe he, he's he's not going to live up to it. Uh, he, is, he, he, he lives up to it. And if I had told you that he... Mark McDonough had written a play called A Behanding in Spokane, would you have been more prepared for, uh, for what transpires? Yeah, probably. I mean, I do think that the... <laughs> but it's it one of this something... kind of thing where, like, it's the tone of the movie where even when he, you literally see him cutting off his fingers, you're still like, how serious is this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> really, really splitting the, you know, threading the needle there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the thing where he's like cutting off his finger. You're like, oh, okay, that's happening. And then like another scene, like the dog drags the shears away so he doesn't cut off another one of his fingers. And you're like, I that is a really specific tone you're going for. Uh, it a lot of good animal work, acting in this movie. An extreme amount of good animal acting in this movie. It kind of made me want to have a donkey pony. One of the two best. One of the two best donkey movies of the fall for sure. No. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I really appreciated not only what it said allegorically, but also sort of what it says about like the pig-headedness of uh, men and the their ability to make their uh, own personal sphere of influence of the world that they observe uh, of like such paramount importance, even if it would seem like a nice, honest conversation could maybe clear things up. And very often we don't. Uh, speak, speaking as a man, I've seen these kind of reminded me of like some uh, high school conflicts I would either observe or like observe or find myself in. Uh, luckily, that left me with more fingers. Uh, but uh, uh, otherwise, the the degree that uh, seemingly innocent actions that are taken on principle, how they will just cling to that principle like a buoy in a stormy ocean. Uh, even if it's ultimately ruining their own lives, uh, rang very true to me. Well, that's part of the humor of the movie, right? The high schoolness, where it's like Brendan Gleeson is this like seemingly like well liked, respected man in the in the city who's just like, I don't want to be your friend anymore, and that's not something that adults do, but it, he does, and it um kind of sets it. And there is, I there. mean, it there is some theoretical value in doing that. It is very much outside of my nature, and I think of most people's nature, and there's certainly friendships in all of our lives uh none you know present company excluded that we have all sort of let wither away in the hopes that uh you know you, you don't want to you don't want to just cut the cord um and and uh you know move away from somebody cold turkey but uh, yeah, these things the happen and like here, life right, right yeah. yeah we really do and you know life would be you would you would save yourself valuable time in those situations if you're able to do that and uh, it is like the sort of Simon Cowell approach to judging people who can't sing on American Idol in a way. It's just like, you know, let's end this delusion and uh, focus your energies on something more productive. But uh, I, you know, it's it, it, I, my sympathies really ping pong back and forth because I was like somewhat sympathetic to that argument from Combe, but also so 
uh, unsympathetic with the cruelty and the bluntness. I mean, he's known Patrick his entire life. He knows what kind of man mm-hmm. Patrick is. He knows how he's going to respond to this and that maybe, just maybe, Patrick has earned and would need, in order to understand it, a sort of softer landing if Colm really did want to pull away from him. There would be ways to do that. But I think that's like the real question that this movie is asking more than, you know, any of the metaphors that it may be casting for the Irish Civil War is really like, and this is part of that, is like, what do we owe the people in our lives? Like, what part of ourselves Mm -hmm. do we owe the people in our lives? Uh, And sometimes uh, when I say a part of ourselves, you know, Comb interprets that very literally. But I Hmm. think that like that is that is the idea really that he's playing with here. You see that theme strongly expressed in, in Carrie Condon's character, um, and then more uh, scabrously so. Uh, I was going to use a different adverb, adverb, but chose not to for fear of spoiling it with Barry Kyogen's character, who is wonderful. I mean... Uh, he's so Dave, good in this movie. Yeah, I mean, Dave was saying that he's... I understand what he meant when he was saying that the character is potentially simpler than Patrick, but um, or Katie was saying that, but... Yeah, uh, I said that. And I know what you mean by that in one definition of the word, possibly, but he's also, in some respects, kind of the most complex character in the film. Um, and it's fascinating to sort of watch him. Yeah, yeah. His brain it. just works simpler, yeah. right? Like, I think he's meant to, like, not be considered, like, a fully functioning adult. Yeah. But he's so nice about it. Well, I don't know if any of these people are fully functioning adults, so no, he, he kind of he kind of fits right in. Uh, but yeah, no, the I degree mean, yeah. that all... The degree that all of these characters could solve their problems by just leaving mm-hmm. uh, is also something interesting because that's just, with uh, I think uh, very few exceptions, like not even crossing their minds as an option uh, for very various degrees of of uh, feeling stuck in their life or this is what they want. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 something weird about like the the social constraints that. Uh, you could put on a relationship or a community uh, that is both beneficial to you, but also that benefit. Keeping that benefit means also allowing yourself to be trapped in it. And are you allowed to uh, sort of balance those both things? Or are you incapable of it and sort of kick up some drama just for the sake of kicking up some drama? There's lots of characters in this movie that kick up drama for the sake of kicking up drama. And not necessarily the main ones. There's like a busybody male woman. Uh, Love there's her. Dominic's yeah, Dominic's policeman father. Can't can't trust the police, even in the twenties. Hey, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, the, really, the really not a great feeling. cop. That one. Yeah, not not a great cop at all. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, I really but- enjoyed it. I think you get to like the, oh, wow, this really beautiful Irish island, and the movie goes to great pains to show how incredibly beautiful it is there. You know, you assume that there's a nostalgia for it, like, ah, the simpler place where no one had Twitter and everyone could just like know be part of each other's lives. But the movie is so much about the limits of that and about how much it can constrain like your worldview, like you were saying, Dave, like what you can imagine for yourself and what you care about. Um, And Carrie Condon's character is this woman who doesn't really want to be married to any of these idiots and wants to live a different life and feels so torn about it. Um, But it's, it's not simple for her either. It's so distinct about what a small community yeah, like I mean, that can do to they're people. grappling with the smallness of their lives and some people mm-hmm. are intrinsically more at peace with that in a smallness that no matter where you live claims us all you know our, our yeah. mortality is limited and um and and you know some people like patrick are at peace with that and others 
like Colm, uh, you know, stare mortality in the face and realize that they're not. And others, like Carrie Condon's character, you know, decide to do something about it a little bit sooner. And yet others have uh, no such choice in the matter. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting how it, it fades between them. I have to say, watching uh, Better Call Saul after seeing the Banshees of Inishirin, as far as Carrie Condon is concerned, is wild. Uh, because <laughs> seeing her play an American is just uh, what a what a twist. You mean Carrie Condon, the voice of Iron Man's final suit? I suppose. Yeah, that's <laughs> obviously what I thought of. I mean, uh, you 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 got it right. She she declares Tony Stark dead. God, I can't wait to. Uh, anyway. As someone who's only known of Ironheart through the Marvel Strike Force game, um, I can't wait to talk next week about how much I am now despising that character. Like, yeah, get on to well, Snap. You'll like her again. Is that a spoiler? Okay. I honestly no. don't know. No, she's the Iron no, no. in the movie, and I think they very clumsily so. Oh, she right. also is actually a good card in Marvel Snap, so oh, that was spoiler. also not a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Uh, Banshees. It's in Banshees theaters. Go see it in yeah. theaters. It's in theaters in various places. It will be rolling out two more. Uh, I think it's honestly playing by me, so it's probably pretty much. I can't even see it in Jersey yet. I'd have to go to Staten really? Island. What the fuck really? is wrong with this country? I mean, what the fuck is wrong with New Jersey, I think, is the uh Well, to be fair, New Jersey is a lot more on the right side of history than North Carolina. No offense. That's uh, political. Uh, uh, wow. Are we going to be friends after this? Patches of Inishirin in theaters now. Andor had an amazing episode 10 this week uh, and we cannot Wait, get what is Andor? Katie to watch it. It's a Disney Plus Star Wars series. Because actually has... no one is, seen, is watching the show for what I can really? tell. Like, this show is yeah, not an Obi-Wan and not a Mandalorian of, and like, the did that many people watch like Obi-Wan? Any... Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Obi-Wan was popular. Either way, good Star Wars series. Great no Star. wizards or uh, laser swords. Uh, no cute baby puppets. He hasn't even fought a monster yet. It is about um, fighting fascism as it creeps over the galaxy. The ultimate monster, some would say. Mm. Indeed. Uh, can't get David and Katie to watch it. Uh, Despite it being written by to- uh, Tony Gilroy of Michael you know, Clayton. I, 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 I clarified in this I clarified show. Like over... First of all, Tony Gilroy is also the creative force behind, like, Velvet Buzzsaw. So no, that's not, Dan uh, Gilroy. Oh, well, yeah, oh, my no. apologies to Tony oh, Gilroy. no, not but Tony Gilroy. Gilroy is also working on Andor with his brother. Yeah, there you go. Surely, uh, I mean, Tony Gilroy, he did direct duplicity, which rules. Uh, uh, Tony Gilroy, possibly innocent. Um, so, but I, I, as I explained over the email thread, uh, yeah. I am not, like, anti-Andor. I am simply waiting as I often do when I decide that I want to watch a show uh, for it to play out, at least the first season, knowing that it's just going to be two, these two seasons waiting for the first season before blazing through it. Uh, everything that people say about it makes it sound way up, more up my alley than all the other Star Wars shows. I did watch the first episode. I was not that into it. I understand that almost everyone has said that it's the third episode where things really click into gear and that's fine. The episodes are short. I don't uh, know. But uh, well, the first episode the is 
okay, and I hated the fucking flashback to the kids on the island or whatever. The shit no, at no, the David end. David has more to say about the show he hasn't seen. David, yeah, shut up. Anyway, that's my spiel. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was gonna, you know, kick it off with another show, but since we're on Andor, Katie, what's up? Why, why don't? Why have you been watching Andor? Is the sad answer that I don't know how to watch things for fun anymore because there's just always something I have to watch for oh, work? I know that. This is why you should watch Jeez. Andor. You don't have to watch it for work. I know, but when do I have time to watch something that's not for work? Like, what is the time that my children don't have the television, that I'm not recording this podcast yeah, or cooking yeah. dinner or cleaning up for yeah. dinner? David, and how do you have time o'clock? to play 40 hours this of is what, uh, a phone card game? I'm not I can do here. it. I can no, do it David's when I'm give doing. I can oh. <laughs> do it when I'm doing literally every other thing. Oh, like, okay. and, okay. and, and I should take be, a big dump. But, uh, watch I, Andor on your phone. I could oh, be watching Andor while I do dishes, which is what I've right been doing. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> I watched a good chunk of my policeman while doing dishes because I was like, I'm curious about this movie, but it doesn't seem good, so I'm just gonna watch watch it in the background while I clean like a podcast, and it worked out Listen okay. Yeah, like honestly, basically doing that instead of listening to a podcast. Maybe, awesome. but like Andor's better than that, right? Don't it I is. deserve it more it of is. my it attention? It actually looks beautiful too. I mean, it is a very cinematic show i think it's it's absolutely from the creator of michael clayton like every two seconds someone is just ripping another character with a monologue stellan skarsgård is all over this show but kind of low-key God, hero. skarsgård is just never not working these days yeah he is he is kind of the elder being in the budding rebellion on andor and constantly ripping people new assholes with being like get on board the rebellion plan and delivering mm. monologues that are very gilroy-esque uh, while Cassian Andor, Diego Luna is it, later in the in the series, and why, if you haven't watched Andor, Katie, which you haven't, you can actually <laughs> jump on. And to David's point, if the f- first episode seems kind of slow, you could jump on at episode eight because how they've structured the show, it's almost like mini movies, kind of like three episodes. That sounds arcs. like The Mandalorian. Uh, n- n- this yeah. show is much more efficient and enthralling. Uh, I would say it's. In, it's- it's arcs rather than the Mandalorians occasionally serialized yes, yes. whatnot. So in episode eight, Bo Willimon takes over, who wrote House of Cards and Ides of March. Went to school with my and, sister. And basically, famously Diego, went to school with his, his, That's his most famous claim to fame, uh-huh. yeah. at least uh-huh. until now. So went to school with his sister, which we obviously gives him a lot of cred for writing these episodes about prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cassian Andor gets arrested for a crime he did not commit. Basically, not a crime. He was just around a crime. And in the Imperial rule, uh, he just gets sent to the Slammer. And the Slammer is a labor camp in the middle of like an ocean planety type place. And he is in this THX 1138 type prison forced to build, we don't even know what yet, just like pieces of Imperial machinery. And it is three episodes of just the most terrifying. And, and, and the B plot is like a member of the Imperial investigation team committing atrocious. Uh, violent interrogation to find Andor. Everyone's looking for Andor, despite him being in Imperial prison at this time. It is just a clusterfuck of of fascism and uh, just a harrowing parallel to, to how the prison system works in America. To be quite honest, and but it and sounds yet, like it's like a thriller. And then like... Andy Circus shows up. Yeah, Andy Circus is the head of the labor camp, uh, or the uh, he, he's running the floor of Andor's specific section of the prison, and. He bas- it's basically three episodes of him kind of coming to an awakening of like he is working for the Empire to get a shorter sentence and he slowly realizes like it's pointless to align yourself with the enemy to think that you could get out of 
this system that you've been trapped in. Um, and it is so emotional and it is, and circus is like, I don't know. I, I guess I thought that the apes movies would be the kind of apex of his, his acting career. And actually, no, it's this, it's so astonishing what he does in this show. I, I mean, I'm watching on my crap computer a lot of the time. And I thought it was what these three episodes build toward is really cool. And, and it actually makes sense. Even if you're a star Wars fan, it's like, this is about rebellion. Why would someone join it? How would it take shape? You know, in the Star Wars movies, it's very much just, well, they need a, we need a good guy. Um, and here is a basis for it. And I, I think like having the midterms play out in the background uh, certainly hmm. kind of amplified the, the stakes. Yeah, because the, the last show. episode dropped like the morning of the midterms, right? To, to, yeah. Yeah, this oh, I thought Patrick was saying that Wednesday. you could actually just see coverage of the midterms in the background uh -huh. of certain scenes yeah, in Andor. Yeah, Marjorie Taylor Green, unfortunately, is uh, yeah. in the show. Darth, you gotta Darth jump on Andor. Green. Get on well, the Andor train. I don't even like Rogue One. Here's the flip side uh, to that. Can we still be friends is... after this? Banshee's a bit sharing. It's in theaters now. <laughs> oh, God damn it! No, there's half a segment left. Um, uh, the flip side is uh, we're gonna be covering the fifth season of the crown which uh dropped this wednesday uh the crown fits into uh both billions in succession and shows i don't watch because they're about rich white people that shouldn't be uh rich uh, mm -hmm. nor should they be um you know cheered on or made uh protagonists uh same reason i stopped watching like brooklyn 99 uh, they're just certain systems i don't think i need to have fictionally boosted uh, Katie, you've seen, uh, I believe all of, uh, the crown season five. I don't need spoilers because I don't think patches and David are caught up. Uh, but it, how am I, am I missing things because I'm being stubborn? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think characters who have power and feel like stymied by it and stressed by it. Like, I don't know that you need to feel sympathy for them to find that interesting. I think a lot mm. of the crown is about the queen and what she sacrifices, knowing that she is not really a person. She's like a symbol of an entire country. Um, that's interesting. And in Imelda Staunton's hands this season, it's really interesting. Um, also, even if uh, Dominic West is too hot to play Prince Charles, like his <laughs> uh, grappling with that. And then Princess Diana, like, I, I mean, Dave, like on a scale of one to 10, how much does Princess Diana interest you at all? Three. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, it's fair. Uh, but Elizabeth Debicki is a really good Princess Diana, and I think too you get some aspects of her character. Diana, but, you know. uh, way too tall to play Princess Diana. She and Dominic West are interesting. Most people. Yeah. She had her feet <laughs> moved for this role. So it's true. It's true. First time you see her on screen in season five, she's wearing heels. What a choice. <laughs> um, Dave, having watched the clip of uh, Charles and Diana's uh, famous, or Charles and Camilla's famous tampon phone call uh, for our other podcast still watching, did it intrigue you any more about their relationship? I mean, uh, I. Not really. Like, okay. here's the thing. I've seen, like, The Queen. I lived through this. I've seen some documentaries. I suppose uh, the nice thing about what you said is you focus specifically on the actors' performances. That I definitely am somewhat interested in. Uh, but, yeah, it's it seems like, you know, a well-worn story done again. But I suppose... You could say that about absolutely all of Star Wars. So here we are, <laughs> two sides the crown of a different is my coin. Star Wars, basically. <laughs> that makes that sentence makes so much sense to me. There is an episode uh, a few seasons ago where uh, someone's uh, yacht gets blown up by the IRA. So maybe I that watched that last time. You guys tried to get me to watch the crown. I'm like, I'll do one episode. 
I mean, they blew up the yacht. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty satisfying. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to I would love to read try again. I would love to read an article, and I'm sure there, there's probably an article like this out there, about how it is beyond just the sheer money that the crown manages to not only look better than just about everything else on Netflix, but avoid the sort of signature Netflix gloss uh, that affects <laughs> almost all of their original content. Uh, the crown looks incredible. Uh, I, I think so the I would love to know. Bothered in to its own technical specs. It's it's one of the first Netflix original shows, right, Katie? Like no. this is House of oh, Cards era. No, 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 no. The no, Crown no, no, probably no, started no, no, in like no, no. 2016. Hold, way on. Off. Hold yeah. on. Whoa, yeah, the, no. The the Crown is not that old. Crown. Let's do a fact check. Live on the in November, no, November 4th, 2016. Yeah. Wow. The reason wow. you don't remember that it's incredible is because we, we were all panicking. It. It's incredible we watched it at all. <laughs> That's insane. What? Yeah. Yeah, wow. so House the of Cards premiered has... in 20... I mean, it's three years into Netflix making original shows, so like, I guess technically not. It's fairly new, but yeah. It's well after House of Cards. Oh, Crowd and or. They're both things that you could watch right now if you want to. <laughs> But sometimes people don't want to watch things. This has been what we don't watch. Are we still friends? Banshee's of Sheeran. In theaters now. So I teased earlier in the episode, a tease that I think history will remember as one of the most irresistible teases in any medium, that uh, later in this episode, I would be talking about another experience that I had at a Toronto Film Festival screening. And now the time has come for the truth to come out. Uh, earlier this year, in September, in fact, the first morning that I was in Toronto, which was later than most people had already arrived because I was coming from another film festival and was already super burnt out, I decided that my first Toronto movie was going to be weird, which we had already reviewed at my website. And so I was just there for the experience. And I went way lulls, early. I think is what they say. For the lulls. And I went way early because I had nothing else to do that day. And I had just arrived and I had to pick up my badge and yada, yada. And it was at the light box where all the screening rooms are much smaller than they are at Scotiabank where the press screenings are also held. And I just happened, the timing worked out that I happened to be there super, super early where I ran into some friends of the show, Mike Ryan, Kate Erbland, that lot. Uh, and so we just milled about outside the theater like an hour and 15 minutes before it started. And they let us in. And as we were sitting in the theater, I was having second thoughts about being there. I was so tired. I had work to do. Uh, I was reading on Twitter that there was like it was like Altamont outside of the screening room. That it was just like fucking pandemonium because 9000 critics had shown up to a screening room that could fit about 75 people. And uh, the line and, and the real kicker was that nobody online because of a slight communication error with the otherwise excellent staff uh, knew that the screening room was already full. They thought they were at the front of the line and they simply hadn't opened the theater yet um, when, in fact, every seat had already been taken. And when people found this out, pandemonium may have you had you have not seen someone lose their shit until you've seen like a, a film blogger learn that they've been denied access to a movie that's going to premiere on the Roku channel in two months. I mean, it mm -hmm. was like. It was like people ripping off limbs, cutting off fingers. Can we still be friends <laughs> after this? It was chaos. But in the middle of this, there I was sitting in my seat, which I had 
earned. Uh, and and thinking that as much as I have a really big soft spot in my life for both in my heart, rather for both Weird Al and Dan Radcliffe, who I have now seen evidence of being in, intimidatingly buff in this movie. Um, I was just like, I, I don't think that I could really be in this right now. I think that like I need to be somewhere else. I'm just going to be too stressed. And so after sitting there for about 55 minutes waiting for this movie to start, before it started, I got up and left and gave my seat over to somebody else. A heroic um, altruist. It was not out of heroism whatsoever. Uh, it was purely out of just, you know, when you feel like you wouldn't be able to enjoy something because your mind's in another place. But I, I had to go through the scrum outside, the shooting and the fucking stabbings and the chaos. They all heckle you as you walked away. No, they were throwing throwing money at my feet uh, for saving, <laughs> saving the day, naming children after me. It was like mother. Uh, it was like the last 30 minutes of mother. Um, was so, David, crazy. but now if you go yeah. to the Roku channel dot com slash well, Roku, I just want to right say there. that part of my part <clears throat> of my arithmetic, the, the element that was pushing against me leaving the screening was that I didn't think I would know how to find the movie when it opened on Roku. I thought this may be my one chance to see it. I know because, because if you I don't, don't have a Roku, Roku. Why would you think is. you can I watch the Roku, Roku channel? Um, <laughs> and so I was really playing with fire when I left. But uh I did leave reluctantly. I had a pretty good feeling of like what the movie is, that I would enjoy it to a certain point, but that I could catch up with it later if I could find it. Was I right? Was I wrong? Is it a masterpiece? Is it funny? Is it is there still room to squeeze out of something like this in the wake of Walk Hard? Someone who's actually seen the movie, please tell me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you can be watching the movie Simon Birch on the Roku channel right now. Wow. <laughs> Weird, the Al Yankovic story had its roots in 2010 when Funny or Die released a fake trailer directed by Eric Appel, who I think I'm saying right, but if I'm not, whatever. Uh, it was a satirical trailer about what if you did a weird Al Yankovic um, story in the vein of uh, Ray or Walk the Line. And Aaron and Paul played Weird Al Aaron in that Funny or Die sketch. Aaron Paul played Weird Al, Olivia Wilde played Madonna, uh, Gary Cole played uh, Al's father, <laughs> Mary Steenburgen played his mother, oh, and Pat Oswalt played uh, Dr. Demento. Um, all those roles have been recast as he has extended essentially that trailer. If you watch the trailer, the lines from the trailer in 2010 are definitely in Weird, the Al Yankovic uh, story movie. Has expanded it into a feature-length movie that starts off as a uh, semi-factual biography of Weird Al, except his parents are <laughs> his monsters. Parents, well, yeah, his parents live. His, his, yes. his mom's all right. And then uh, expands to expands into a wild ride through the early 1980s as Weird Al uh, has his song "Eat It" ripped off by Michael Jackson, who mm -hmm. records "Beat It" a couple months later. And Wait, I Al thought is when you so said his parents pissed. are monsters that you. They were actually monsters, that it was just like the surrealist touch. I mean, that but is saying, plausible within the world of... Yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. What I understand in the movie, that seems totally plausible. But you're saying that they're just bad people. Were they bad people in real life? Is he doing this tongue-in-cheek? What's, what's the vibe? I think they, they were ugly people. people, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, in fact, so, there's, there's actually an interesting story, probably, that they, they passed tragically in the early 2000s because of uh, carbon uh, monoxide okay. poisoning. I remember that. Yes, oh, it was a, it's a very strange story. It's a weird story, but it, I don't want to be cheeky. Yeah. Mm. Instead, there's stuff like he actually did get his first accordion from a traveling salesman. That's true. But here in the movie, his dad beats the ever loving shit out of that traveling salesman that because of some 
accordion uh inspired it's, it's toby huss right Plays it is yeah. toby huss in a absolute mvp kills this movie role i think toby huss is a great actor and he is playing this uh overbearing movie dad to to perfection it's real wrong kid died vibes uh in that yeah. character <laughs> juliet nicholson i think is the mom right and yes, she is uh, also yes. fantastic. God, she I, also you know plays what? Marilyn Monroe's mom in Blonde. She's uh, having a, a strange fall. If I had known that Julian Nicholson were in this, I would have stuck around. Like that enough for me is a selling point. One of America's most yeah. undervalued actors. She wears a fat suit later in the film for no does. no real reason, and it's uh, a real uncanny valley uh, moment. No, no, she wears she, it for a very specific reason. To I make know, a joke but like about for fat. for for a single joke about the origin of a Weird Al song, and then that is the only reason for it. The Weird Al song that he wore famously wore like that exact fat suit. It seems like a pretty the, good the video reason for to do it, but okay. and all, that all she grills him for it. It was a very funny. Thing. All right, I missed the Easter egg. <laughs> That's the thing. If you, the more you know about Weird Al, I think the funnier this movie is. I watched well. it with Java. <laughs> I watched it with Java, who knows nothing about Weird Al. Oh yeah, and Oof. I think the the, the you know parody parody stuff really kind of kicks in towards the second half of the movie and i think she understood what it was uh but yeah the second half of this movie just decides to go completely off the rails uh to get to the the beats that were in the the comedy trailer and i i kind of enjoy it as an idea of yeah what a weird album it's it's uhf the movie and it works no, I think, uhf really well was a movie let's be clear here sorry uhf <laughs> this, the bio uhf the, the biopic thank you Yes, in that it's it's not a total parody. I, I think one thing I was thinking throughout the whole mo movie is like how much of Weird Al's career is this movie? Because as the movie both confronts, he's not just a parodist, he's also a satirist. Not all of his songs are parodies. He's written a ton of original songs, like style parodies and just straight original songs. And um, I... What's most interesting about the movie is the setup. We haven't really talked about how it gets into it, which is like the Weird Al of the movie, played by Daniel Radcliffe, dreams of writing fake lyrics to real songs or like alternative lyrics to real songs. He says this to his roommates early on when he is a struggling accordion player and he's like dreaming of writing fake lyrics. This is also this a is world in which like an accordion player would audition to play in a band and there's like polka parties being held at high school. I mean, the rules the of this world are not really all fun. that consistent, but that is how they establish it. And, and that is kind of where I'm going, because sometimes it is totally farcical, but sometimes it is grounded to the point where the movie gets a little boring. Um, and early on, when he's trying to like find fake lyrics, like getting inspired by packs of baloney, and he writes my bologna. Um, and it's weird because it's weird. The whole movie's weird. It's called weird. Uh, <laughs> later Can we still be movie, friends after this? Does he ever ask himself that question? <laughs> Banshees of insurance in theories now. Um, he later in the movie and the crux of the movie is that a music executive played by the real weird Al Yankovic tells him he'll ne he'll never make it as a parodist. No one wants the song. So he pivots and he has to write original material. And most of the movie is about weird Al as an original songwriter, eventually getting ripped off by Michael Jackson, because uh, Eat It is a huge hit, an original song called Eat It, and, and Michael Jackson decides to write Beat It, a parody of Weird Al's song. That is lunacy of, of a higher degree that I wish the movie was operating at from the very beginning. Like, is that not what happened in real life? Apparently <laughs> uh, no, not. Surprisingly not. Um, mm. Like, why, why doesn't this movie immediately 
start with him wanting to write original songs or being kind of an original artist. I find that this movie has a lot of high points and, and a lot of funny bits. I wish I could describe them without people seeing it, but Hey Boy is something I will be muttering to myself and repeating <laughs> over and over to the end of time. I can't hey, explain the joke. Boy. But yeah, later in the movie, when Pablo Escobar factors into the movie, Un Hey Boy comes up and I was I was giggling. Um, but Yeah, yeah that's like movie, an Arrested Development joke. Totally, totally. Uh, and, and at its highest peaks, I think this movie is like that, but it just, like, it's convoluted in a way that I, uh, is unfortunate. The middle totally Remarkably sags convoluted shifted. for being, yeah. like, a, like, a parody of, like, a standard, like, ho- uh, you know, VH1 behind the music story where he, like, gets famous and he, like, has an alcohol problem and he's, like, mean to his bandmates. So it's, like, got those walk hard elements and then it somehow manages to be overly complex even around that. Because it's too serious. Like, it's not funny in the middle. In the middle of the movie, he hooks up with Madonna, and suddenly the movie's about, yeah, we Madonna, talk about Madonna. Wanting, Madonna wanting a parody song because to get the Weird Al bump, as they say, oh, uh, yeah. on the record I... charts. And that's where the movie starts getting, like, overly dramatic and invested in the biopic tropes in a way that it's like, where are the jokes? I mean, Please, someone I mean, someone, Can someone explain to me uh, why Dan Radcliffe, and I call him Dan because we're very close, uh, needs to to be completely shredded to play this role. I mean, I'm sure it makes it funnier. Thanks, just I saw a screenshot where he was just all abs. I mean, the physicality of it is is present and and funny. He's committed to the uh, bit of playing a chord. I asked this question he, purely out of jealousy, in case that wasn't clear. He lip syncs to the Weird Al songs, which I also found unpleasant. Is that uh, weird? Wait, can we can we linger on Madonna yeah. for a little bit though? Because like yes. Evan Rachel Wood shows up as Madonna, oh. and I've talked about my Evan Rachel Wood face blindness, where like she just never looks like a recognizable person to me. Um, looks, but doesn't the, look like anything to me. And Good Matt Jacobs, an uh, uh, <laughs> Dave, Matt I Jacobs wrote about that. this in the That's Daily very, Beast, basically, um, where like the knocks on Madonna for her entire career has been like, oh, she's like an airhead, and she just like is an opportunist, and like there are elements of that that are true about Madonna, but this version of the character is so boring, like. All she's doing, she's just a scheming villain. She's like pouring liquor down Weird Al's throat to give him a drinking problem. And then like wants to take over the drug cartel from Pablo Escobar. Like there's just and she takes up so much of the time. Like, why wouldn't you make if you're going to parody this very famous person who didn't really know Weird Al, you can go anywhere with it. Why be so incredibly boring about it? Mm, I like it because as soon as we hit like the early 80s, Michael Jackson and Madonna are the villains. And I'm like that. That's a hilarious take on whatever this is. I do. Th- I think that the movie's problems, the slow middle that you're talking about, patches, have a lot to do with like they literally include all the lines from the 2010 parody trailer. Like, allow the movie to be the movie you're making. Don't swerve into the, uh, you know, shirtless cursing at the audience, the yelling at the band. Uh, the you know sort of stuff like that that are in the the trailer because it's supposed to be like you know a Ray parody, but like at that point in Weird, the Al Yankovic story movie, it could have become its own movie rather than having to stick so closely yes. to. And this is where my thing. galaxy brain take on on Weird Al songwriting comes in, which is like there's no half measures with a Weird Al song. It's either a parody of a song. It's it's uh, Amish Paradise, or it's My Bologna, or it's a style parody. And it's fully an original song done with the musicality of a, of a song that you might recognize. But there's, it's everything, he's producing every single beat. Like, 
this movie is both a parody and an original, and it can't yeah. be both. It's actually flawed because it's a half measure in in both directions. Um, and it, and it should have started as like either a grounded kind of walk hard, uh, like fake Bohemian Rhapsody, um, or it should have been doing what the trailer or the the original Funnier Die sketch does in an elongated way. Just keep having scenes that are super familiar and like exactly ripped from a movie. Um, but I feel like it does both and it can't, which is, is awkward. Yeah. I think it, once it, once it gets past trying to be a parody of these biopics and leans into, you know, just Madonna now wants to take over Pablo Escobar's drug cartel. Mm-hmm. I think the movie manages to like catch up. And I will admit that when it ended, I laughed out loud because I was not expecting it to sort of go <laughs> the way that it did at the very end. The ending kicks ass. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I think it kind of finds itself. Uh, there's just some sort of uh, beats in the middle that maybe played better for me because my Roku channel played me commercials in the middle of the movie. Yeah, I got oh, to watch wow, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I would, uh, you know, see some commercials and then be back and I'll be up to something else. So it played a little bit like a TV uh, uh, show in the middle in terms of its uh, wildly switching oh, wow. uh, between tones. Uh, maybe that softened it. Maybe this, I don't know, somebody, I think we were talking in like a G chat or something like what does a Roku original even mean? And like right now, since this is the only one. It's an extended funnier <laughs> die sketch. Like I mean, that's what it means to me now. Other Roku original TV programs, not aren't those all Quibbies? Some of them, <laughs> most of them are quit old Quibbies <laughs> that have been renewed for season two with longer episodes. Um, to to kind of wrap up and make a, a follow up on a point that David made earlier on, which was, wait, who is a a a Weird Al fan here on the podcast? Are we coming at from? I was a uh, when I was young. Uh, yeah. in the in like the nineties, he was a big deal to me for sure. Now you're old. Um, but yeah, yeah I, 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 I'm curious about <laughs> watching the movie. I had to think. Weird Al deserves like a real biopic. This is the weird. Uh, how did this man make a success out of what he does, playing the accordion? There's no one like him writing parody songs to to this degree. Um, I I find his brand of humor fascinating. I find his sense of, of music to be unrivaled um and and i wondered um unrivaled in his sense of music is unrivaled is he the, in is he the greatest greatest living musician <laughs> i think he's great I mean, one of the greatest parodists like he's technically a genius right he is a ge- he, the man is a genius the man is a genius um and i wonder if the movie does him if, if, if it's worthy of that or if i i wonder what his legacy is like is he seen as a genius is he I, I wondered what the, the but I mean the movie also movie. implies you know that, that he's too humble to because I mean, the whole idea the whole joke of the movie as I understand it is how silly it would be that Weird Al would deserve a biopic like these uh, or that other, Weird you know, Al would have like drug fueled like right, 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 right that he's all just very sort of very mild modest and humble I mean he's a very clever guy but I think he also understands that parody is sort of a low art in its way. But he elevated it to, if not a higher one, then at least a commercially successful one and made a big impression. I can hear his voice, you know, into the, my dying day, I'll be able to hear his accordion and voice in my head. Uh, and he seems like a nice guy. I don't know. Is that not worthy <laughs> of a biopic? 
I like I like this tone for him. I think it's very silly. I think he could do a uh, weird uh the uh, he wouldn't call it weird too. It'd be like weird the Al Yankovic story as well or something like that. <laughs> and just just do like the polka side. Like Patches was saying his original songs. Like don't even mention the parodies. Just like what happens if you apply popular lyrics to polkas. And he could do he could do this all again because it, it the movie lives from gag to gag and I think percentage wise it works uh, as a whole it's uh, at least the, the 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 nature of its stop and start narrative is really relying on my love of Weird Al to sort of uh, see the connective tissue between it uh, because it's like a bunch of sketch sketches it's a bunch of sketches that are assemble weirdly uh, into a, a <laughs> biopic shape. I would argue uh, it doesn't work enough just because yeah. it's not funny enough consistently. Like, is anyone glad Pablo Escobar is in this movie? Like that entire subplot drove me crazy. Like it felt like they had run out of things to do with the music parody and they threw something else entirely I, unrelated. And like, again, I don't want like to everything to have like a rigid consistency in this parody movie, but some kind of internal logic has to happen for it to stay funny. I, I think that that could happen in like a Naked Gun movie where things are just constantly escalating or or in the uh, Zucker Brothers mode, the airplane mode of just like, and now we're here for some reason. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's not zany. The but movie those is not movies zany have like a purpose. joke, a joke, a joke, a joke, a joke, yes, and yes, this yes. movie doesn't have that. Right. And it, and it gets caught between <clears throat> doing joke, a joke, a joke, a joke, and then just being like, what if we played it completely straight, but it's Weird Al? And it cannot commit yeah, exactly. to that bit. And I wish it had committed to that bit because I feel like Weird Al in his music can commit to that bit. Um, yeah, that's unfortunate. I can imagine watching Hey Boy scenes uh, in the future in clip <laughs> form. That is the movie's like. I mean, I would watch. I would watch. I can't hardly wait. Set at a teenage polka party uh, as as seen in that movie. <laughs> that's like seen, that sounds fun. When the cops come and they're running around with accordions. Uh, yeah, that's really funny. Um, yeah. To, to truly wrap up for the Weird Al fans of the room. What's Weird Al's best song? From the gut. Tell me. Harvey the Wonder Hamster. Dave? Oh, wow. Really? That's mm -hmm. an original. Mm-hmm. Boy. My, my memory is not allowing me to think beyond the, the most obvious ones. Make geek. Uh, man. We can't be... Uh, can we be friends after this? <laughs> can I admit I don't get that reference? What, are, what is that a reference to? Earlier in the podcast? <laughs> no, is that literally all it's a reference to? Can we yes. be friends after this? Yeah. Wow, yeah, I really a, thought it's a long runner. You guys are referencing like the fucking Mario trailer or something that I hadn't seen. That, that yeah, Yo Yoshi says stupid. that. That makes like the seventh <laughs> repetition of that bit where I was so over this. It makes it all worthwhile. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> this, is, this is good. This is good. Come on, David. This pot. This podcast is both an original and a parody of our usual <laughs> podcasts we do. <laughs> Well, I'll I mean, just say I'll... Bad Hair Day is a, is a masterpiece album. All right, hold on. Give me uh, someone vamp for a second while I pull up Weird Al. Now I need to know. Live I'm just thinking here. about how many like middle school dances I went to where Amish Paradise was just like really like, brought the house. It like brought the house. I mean, down. yeah. I mean, I was exactly the age for Amish Paradise. I mean, Why Amish is Paradise is a masterpiece. Wait, what did you dance? do in middle school that was so cool? Jesus Christ! Dance. Right. Yeah, I mean, wait, you're I can't telling tell me if, that... I can't tell if you think my school dances should have been cooler or what. I can't figure out what this cooler. judgment. If oh, you're DJing a school dance, 
if yeah, well, I I don't think they're gonna play the 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 most dangerous minds or the dangerous minds. The most dangerous. They probably uh, honestly played most dangerous both. Mind. Like that was probably the joke is that you do real uh um gangsters paradise, then you do Amish paradise. No, they did not play both at a school dance. They would there would have been riots at the school <laughs> dance if they played the Weird Al version. But I. I mean, Amish Paradise is a classic. My Bologna, also very good. But I, for some reason, and like like a surgeon, just like there in the title, brilliant. Um, he is a genius. But I will say, I don't think I've ever had the the chorus or the main hook from Ride and Dirty stuck in my head. But I have had Weird oh, Al saying White and Dirty in my head for yeah. years at a time. So that has to come for something. Wow. Oh God, and Pretty Fly for a Rabbi. Oh God, that was a big one. I don't think that was the school dances, but that was just like every time it came on the radio. There are so many I'd good. Forget. There's so much good Weird Al lore, like how he he wrote his Star Wars song uh, from Running with Scissors. The saga begins without seeing the movie. He wrote it entirely based on spoilers um, that he probably read on Ain't It Cool News or some shit. Uh, that's the just, one that's an American Pie parody. Yes, I, I love yeah. this band. I love everything he does, and I gotta say, I've learned so much about music through Weird Al. Like that—that that is the true. He's a gateway. Like all mm. of his, all you know, alternative polka on Bad Hair Day uh, taught me all about '90s music, and um, by doing parodies, I've learned so much about the the full landscape of music. And uh, yeah, I, I'm getting a little emotional about Weird Al. He's just like, he's my guy. And the time he movie, killed Pablo Escobar, he did so much. It's not good enough. World. Yeah, I did like that. <laughs> well, anyway. it's not in theaters. Katie, hit him with that URL again. Uh, the Roku Channel Why isn't it just the Roku Channel I don't know. Uh, a lot of mysteries about the Roku Channel, but you can watch Wall Street on there. Patch Adams is on there. I mean, we talk about Pluto wow. TV all the damn time, and we've not You're been giving the Roku. Oh, you can just go Roku. to the Roku Channel It turns out you can watch ABC News. I don't know. I don't know how Katie's it works. He's watching Roku channel right now. Yeah, I'm <laughs> scrolling through. I could be watching Young Rock right now. Oh, good <laughs> lord. Or right. the world See with Tom Cruise. Young Black Adam. for this week next week we're going back to wakanda we're talking about wakanda forever it is going to be relevant next week no matter what david early tries to tell you in the meantime (laughs) in the meantime tell people who you are we're not friends anymore forever forever uh i'm at patches uh polygon.com i'm still on twitter at mr patches verified not the paid kind and uh, we have a website, fightingintheworm.com. I bet you we re- uh, reviewed Black Panther. You should listen to that episode. Probably yeah. God, that was so long ago. This movie has taken a while to get people. Uh, Four years. Your whole conception of time is wildly warped tonight. It was not that long ago. Um, you don't I... think Black Panther 2 will be relevant next week when we talk oh about it? Oh my god. I don't just, talk about my, my time. I'm being Can we still be friends? Oh that's my the god. bit, Katie. That's the bit. That's the bit. <laughs> uh, anyway, fightingintheworm.com. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. You can still find me on Twitter uh, at David Ehrlich. You can find me on IndieWire where I have viewed a lot of the things. Not weird, that's for sure, but uh, definitely Wakanda Forever and Bank of the Nihiran. 
Um, you can find all of us together on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. Re leave us a review there, if you can, if you dare, and we will read it live on the show. Uh, and if you're having any difficulty with the United States iTunes store or don't happen to live in these slightly more United States, uh, go, I don't know, Dave, tell them what to do. You can email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my name DA7E. That is my Twitter profile. I'm going to be there as it all goes to shit. But if you are on Mastodon and still want to see my tweets, you can find me at Dave at Mastodon.coffee. Follow me there and I'll take you if I go to another server. It'll be fun. Oh my God. And, Mastodon. uh,. Look, look, I have to build a lifeboat <laughs> just in case. We talked about this last week. Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you all uh, for also voting like I asked you to last week. It seems like it worked Ooh. out in some states, yeah. uh, mine of which being one of them. So woohoo! Thank you. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I'm also on Mastodon at Katie Rich at Mastodon.coffee. I, yes. joined, an, I joined another coffee? one that was like a local one, but it was called Triangle Toot, and it was so stupid I couldn't stick with it. Uh, I'm, I think I'm still on there. I am one of those people who hasn't really figured Mastodon out, but I'm on there while I try to figure out if I can make a professional Instagram. Never gonna thing. happen for Mastodon. It's not happening. Hey, just, uh, are you on Letterboxd? Do we no. all just be on Letterboxd? Why not? I don't know. I, I get, the idea of logging I get Letterboxd followers all the time. Uh, and I've only reviewed Clash of the Titans. And, like, <laughs> I really wanted to just, like, do another review after 10 years, but I missed that that deadline. So now I'm afraid, like, my letterbox is this perfect uh, fortress of solitude where only my opinions of Clash of the Titans. Guys, exist. someone has already taken Katie Rich on Letterbox. Is it me? Did I sign up for a letterbox and never use it? Katie Rich from Saturday Night Live. Uh... I should try that logging in Rich. and see if that's me. It, no, they haven't done anything with it, uh, so very possible it's me. I didn't realize Letterboxd was like for Clash of the Titans. It sounds like it's probably me. Um, I'll figure that out. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter also at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. We're also on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R. I guess we're going down with this ship together. Uh, you can actually. I still want. I want to hear uh, about the hot people you think they look like. Obviously, because that's flattery. Oh, or you can answer this week's no, lightning round nice. question. Be nicer to us than Katie was to me in the opening of this episode. That lightning round question again not, is in honor hard. of the crown. Who would be the too hot actor to play you in a historical fiction? Uh, uh, if side by side pictures, if you're comfortable showing your face on social networking, I think would be really fun. Uh, David, I'm so sorry that I implied right. that you were in your last You, you said there's no digging yourself out of this one. I'm hideous. I know. It's, it's okay. This is not news. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back, unless David doesn't want to be my friend anymore next week. Mm. You can just get off the ship. You can eat a bunch of sushi, then forget to leave a tip. Do the rest of the